what are you making that's different? And, and you either innovate or you die. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 44. Today, we're talking about pizza. We're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at pizza manufacturing. This is a fun conversation. We've got Nick Faluca on from Palermo's Pizza. You've probably seen them in the frozen food aisle at your grocery store. Whether you're shopping at your local Safeway or something like a Whole Foods, They've got brands in all of those places. In fact, right before recording this intro, I just finished half of one of their urban pie pizzas. I'm not doing that as a plug. I actually always have some Palermo's pizza in my freezer now that I've moved back to Wisconsin where they're headquartered. Anyway, I'm rambling. I want to tell you the three things you can expect from today's conversation with Nick. First, we're going to get a history of the Palermo's family business. They've been at this for a long time. and They've got a super cool story about how they came to be and how they've grown over the years. Second, we're going to talk about all the fun details about pizza manufacturing, why it's a challenging production process, technologies that go into ingredients, packaging, research and development, you name it. We're going to talk about a lot of the ins and outs of what it takes to make a pizza. Finally, we're going to talk about prioritizing innovation, taking a chance on people, and being a part of the local community as a regional manufacturer. This episode was a lot of fun to record. We also drop a lot of resources, as we'll call them, throughout this episode. So to access those, make sure to go to the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 44, where you can find everything discussed in today's conversation. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at iTunes. Super simple. It can be as quick as one sentence. In fact, I'm going to read you one of the recent one-sentence reviews that we received. This one comes from Chris. Chris says, bring your pint glass, open your mind, and you'll always take something away. If that's not succinct, I don't know what is. Thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to leave that rating and review. If you want to do the same thing, head to Apple Podcasts by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there on your iPhone or desktop. And with that, we have to uh, we have to talk about food. Let's get real. Let's meet up in Milwaukee for a virtual drink with Nick Faluca. And let's start chatting about pizza. All right. Our guest today is passionate about pizza and people. He's the chief product and innovation officer at Palermo's Pizza, a company that's been an Italian frozen food staple in the Midwest and beyond for over 50 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nick Faluca to the show. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. 
Hey, it's great to have you here. You know, the Manufacturing Happy Hour audience has been asking for more people that are actually making the widgets, making the food. And I can't think of a better spot to start than uh, than Palermo's Pizza, which, and I didn't mention this before, I always have one of your Italian sausage pies in, uh, awesome. in my fridge ready to go. And if I don't, it just means I just ate it and need to go back to the store. So uh, excited to have you on. Excited <laughs> so to be here. Thanks. Well, as we get going, you know, we were chatting before the interview. This is Manufacturing Happy Hour. We like to keep the conversation as if we're having this over a beverage, maybe a beverage and a pizza. So, you know, I just mentioned I moved back to Milwaukee. That's where you guys are based as well. If we were having this over a drink, man, where would we be right now? Paint a little picture for us. Oh, if we were having this over a drink, you know, I'd probably say let's go to the Roman coin on Brady Street. Mm, yes. Because, A, it's just your your classic corner bar but also i could bring a palermo's pizza there and i could eat it there because they are dog friendly which means that they can't serve food but you can bring your own food in so i could i could bring some palermo's pizza we could eat eating palermo's pizza and having a, a manhattan or a or a beer of your choice Mm, I love that. It's been a while since I've been in the Roman coin. I mean, it is COVID time, so I haven't really gotten to go out on Brady Street yet, but a uh, hosed on Brady, I think right across the street is another go-to of mine in that area. So, I mean, honestly, I would take a cocktail, you know, anywhere right now, you know, any bar sounds about pretty great to have a happy hour in, but, uh, you know, Zoom will do. <laughs> You love it. Love it. Well, we've we've painted the picture then. Let's say you and I are hanging out there at the at, at the Roman coin and someone walks up to you. You know, they see us having a good time. We're eating our Palermos and they're like, you know, Nick, I know you're the, the chief product and innovation officer at Palermos. But but what does that mean? How do you describe that to someone as if you're having a drink with them? I just say I eat a lot of pizza. I mean, <laughs> day, so I'm in the office, uh, you know, most of the week and I'm eating pizza probably at least three to four times a day, um, trying new things. And so, you know, what goes into making a pizza is you start with the crust. So if we're creating something new, we're looking at the crust, different variations, and then we're trying different sauces and different toppings. And then how do all those, the crust sauces and toppings all come together, you know, and then, you know, you do that times four or five brands, you know, across, you know, our brands plus private brands. So, Man, I mean, it's just, it's eating pizza all day. That sounds like a dream job in many yeah. ways. I'm, yeah. I'm interested to know how you, like, it sounds like you get a good variety. So that's probably how you're still a pizza fan yeah. after all these years. I mean, and I'm excited to talk about kind of the technology and some of the ins and outs of pizza manufacturing. But before we get there, you know, I want to get a little bit of your origin story. And I, I realized that you are part of the family business there at Palermo's. So I, I'd love to hear that. How'd you guys get started for people that might not be as familiar with Palermo's? Yeah. So my grandparents uh, came over from Palermo, Sicily. That's the name in the 1950s. And my grandpa, uh, he worked in uh, tile. He actually worked with a fister washing dishes when he first came over. Um, you know, no money in his pocket, didn't speak very much English. And he worked hard enough to save enough money um, to open uh, a bakery on a North and Murray called Palermo Villa. And so it started as a small Sicilian bakery in 1964. And then um, he did all the work inside to, to fix it himself. And then in 1969, uh, he opened a restaurant and it was uh, a really successful, popular restaurant. 
And that was that went on until 1979, when, as the story goes, um, someone brought in a Stouffer's French bread pizza. And he says, why are you bringing me this garbage? He's like, this is awful. Sorry if anyone on the, <laughs> on the, on the podcast likes Stouffer's. This is my grandpa, not me. He says, why are you bringing me this garbage? And he's like, that's the point. You should be selling your, your pizzas that you make at the restaurant in the frozen. And my grandpa said, okay, he's a ready shoot it aim kind of guy. My grandma and dad and brothers were at Disney World and my grandpa up and sold the restaurant to get into frozen pizza. And I guess he just, you know, he was like, I'm going to, I have this great product and I'm going to sell it everywhere. And that's kind of how it started. And it really wasn't until the eighties um, that we got a little bit bigger. We started selling outside of bars, restaurants. We got into the Sendix locally and he was making everything by scratch. I mean, he was buying in, um, you know, bags of onions and, and peppers and he was, he was making his own sausage. And, you know, that's kind of like the early stages in the eighties. And then in, in the, in the nineties, um, Safeway out in the West coast, uh, they took a chance on us. They said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to buy from the small manufacturer. And so by them taking a chance on us, we were actually able to, to start making pizzas for, uh, for private label, you know, and it's amazing looking back, uh, to that time when they took a chance on us and, you know, here we are today. Um, so from the nineties to I'd say 2003, we were small regional local brand. Um, but we also made private brand. Then in 2003, we launched the first ultra thin crust called Palermo's Primo Thin. That's a sausage you have there. And then that got nationwide distribution through Costco. And that really allowed us to expand in the, in the building you see behind me. And so from 2003 to now, we've been, um, you know, focusing not only on, on private brands, but our own brands as well, which include Palermo's, Screaming Sicilian, Urban Pie, and Connie's. Yeah, for, for context, for those of you that are listening to the audio, on the video version, Nick is sitting in front of the uh, the factory on Zoom, which I wanted to say is a very pretty looking manufacturing facility. Normally, these things are in industrial parks, but this looks like you pulled it straight out of Palermo, Italy. In all honesty, that, that's the goal. I mean, I mean, when you drive up to it, it's it's a, it's a it's an amazing place. Um, you know, pre-COVID, you could come in and have a, a an amazing wood-fired pizza. So I guess you know, for us, it's it's really like our passion is is food, and we happen to make pizza, and we love I mean, we love making pizza. We love making food. Um, all of us are just you know. We just we just love everything about food because it, you know it really just brings people together, and um, I mean that's just one of the aspects we love about it, and it just it tastes great, it makes you oh, happy. A- absolutely. Well, I love how, you know your passion is food. You just happen to make pizza. Love that line. You know, I want to ask you a, a personal question as well too, because we know about the family business now. What was it like growing up in a family business? Because that's got to be interesting. Because you kind of, I guess, have an inkling you're going to work for the family business all your whole life, right? You know, I guess early on, yes, I'd say, yeah, I'm gonna work work at Palermo's, you know, but then when you get you know a little bit older and rebellious, you say, I'm not gonna work there, I want to do my own thing. And I actually thought I was gonna be an Italian major and then a psychology major, but then I realized a psychology majors have to go to school forever and I didn't really like school that much. And <laughs> and Italian isn't really practical. So I went, you know, I got my business degree. And all through high school, grade school, high school, college, I worked at Palermo's doing various things. And, and after college, I just kept doing things. And, 
And so I stayed with it. And, you know, it's challenging at times. I mean, it's, it's tough to be in the business with family because not only is there, you know, business issues, you know, you have to then go see your family for Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays. And, you know, a lot of that stuff can carry over, but I mean, it's honestly, it's been, it's been such an amazing experience though, that, you know, I could never, I, I could never have this same experience. I wasn't working with my family. That's pretty cool. I, I, I have to ask too, on the R and D side, you know, you mentioned you're having four or five pizzas a day. You've kind of been, if I looked at it right, you've been mostly focused on R and D most of your time at Palermo's. There's something about it that you kind of naturally gravitated towards in that area or what's the story there? Yeah, for me, I mean, I actually almost went to culinary school as well out in, in Hyde Park. And so for me, I've always been, uh, you know, just really in, in love with food, you know, whether eating it or, or making it. Um, and so I think just my, my passion around making a great tasting pizza and a great tasting product. Um, you know, I make crazy stuff too. You know, I'll, I'll be at home and I'll just try things that are wacky and wild, or I'll see something at a restaurant menu and say, hey, this is not a pizza, but it could be a pizza or it could be something else besides a pizza. And so just that, you know, uh, I guess creative, innovative, um, you know, churn is always going on in my head about making something great. And so I think translating that into R&D was, was quite simple. Now, I don't have the technical background, but luckily the people on my R&D team are just incredibly smart, fantastic people who have, you know, technical science backgrounds, who have culinary backgrounds. And so they can take the crazy ideas in my head and translate into something that, that tastes great. Uh, it's awesome. And, and I kind of want to use this as a way to segue into maybe not the technical side, but more of the how it's made side of things as well. You know, what, let, let's talk, you know, you're talking about things you do to innovate in this space. What's an aspect about pizza manufacturing, maybe specifically that is surprising to most people? You know, we got manufacturers that listen to this. I'm curious, is there something about your process in particular, the pizza making process that might, um, you know, make people go, huh, I didn't expect that. I think pizza is one of the hardest things to make. And you're mm -hmm. like, how is that possible? But, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you get a pepperoni, black olive and mushroom pizza, you expect those black olives and mushrooms to be really nicely separated on that pizza. Mm -hmm. So let's now go to manufacturing. Let's say you're going to buy soup or an egg roll or some kind of filled something or other. You're not necessarily worried about, wait, do I have 12 pieces of corn in my, in my chunky soup? Or do, is my egg roll filled with 17 carrots and three pieces of chicken? But when it's a pizza and it's right there, when you open it, you're seeing everything on that product. There's nothing hidden. All the ingredients are front and center. And so making that great pizza every time, depending on the pizza, is not easy. You know, if you're making a, um, let's say some competitors use the same topping, whether it's across multiple lines or, you know, every piece size, an inch by inch piece size. Well, not for us. You know, our meatballs are half meatballs. Or we're using pulled chicken and we're using, you know, real cherry tomatoes. So to have that kind of complexity and make a consistent product is probably one of the more challenging things I think in, in food manufacturing. 
Oh, no, no doubt. Cause you got me thinking like one of the first things I do when I open up a frozen pizza is I look at the pepperonis. Sometimes I subtly count the pepperonis. I'm like, are they spread out across the pizza? So you're totally right. I mean, I, it's all really been more subconscious for me this whole time, but yeah, there's, there's less room for error because, you know, even if let, let's say you make a pizza and like everything's kind of spread to one side, you're probably going to pass judgment at that for point. sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got a, we've got a call in number that, you know, you know, our products are hundred percent guaranteed and Hey, I'm not going to sit here and say that we're perfect, you know? And so we get calls and whenever someone calls in, we, we give them a sincere apology. We'll give them a free pizza to say, Hey, we're sorry. That's not how it should be. Try another one on us. Good call. Love that customer service element to it. You mentioned this in, I think, when we were exchanging emails as well, some of the technologies that go into ingredients as well. That's another thing I'm curious about, especially in, you know, the the frozen food type space. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, one of our, you know, one of my favorite uh, technologies that we uh, we co-did uh, with someone is um, we, have, uh, we have multiple uses of fresh mozzarella on our, our frozen pizzas. And, uh, we worked with a supplier, um, you know, actually a local supplier who's his farm. So he's got his, his cows, he, he milks the cows and the, and then he makes the fresh mozzarella on site. And so we worked with this farm to scale up production, to make fresh mozzarella. That's more easy to be used in a, in a manufacturing line. So, you know, if you ever went to the store and I'll, I'll plug, uh, you know, in, actually, I won't plug a supplier, but so you, you, you know, you're in a store and you get fresh mozzarella, and it's in this little like container. So picture that little container, three feet long. You know, so that yeah. we're able to we're able to cut it online, and it's mm-hmm. it's a bigger piece of cheese to cut versus this little tiny thing you have to keep opening and keep opening. Ah, uh, I gotcha. I'm sure some of the cheese fans listening to this are excited at the prospect of a three foot long piece of cheese. I will say that that would be quite the charcuterie board uh, centerpiece be. right there. <laughs> Have you ever gotten to do anything creative with some of your ingredients like that, that you get in bulk? Um, sometimes suppliers will send us in like, um, like Christmas, you know, packages and, you know, we'll mostly we'll just cook them up in R and D and you know, have a big feast because we've got a chef on staff and, and she just makes some really tasty stuff for us. That's cool. R and D in pizza manufacturing sounds like the spot. I have a feeling some people might make a career change after this, uh, this episode wraps up. (laughs) If you you like eating and you love pizza, that's, that's a great place to be. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious. Another thing that comes to mind is we're talking ingredients. We're talking about R and D we're trying new things. You know, I, is there something that you've tried um, that that like didn't work? For example, something you're like, ah, let's take a risk on this, and maybe it didn't go as planned. And and I think the more important part of that question is, if so, what did you learn from that? Yeah, we actually so our Screaming Sicilian is our most uh, widely sold uh, brand across the country, and you know we pride ourselves on big, identifiable toppings, really unique flavors, but sometimes unique is too unique. Um, so we've had a couple of, of items that were amazing tasting and fans loved them, but they just didn't sell because not enough people wanted to buy them. So my favorite was called three little piggies. It was a Kansas city barbecue sauce, pulled pork, spicy sausage and bacon. 
Mm, that's that does sound good. I would I would certainly order that if I saw that somewhere. <laughs> you know, and so we had that. Uh, we had it's called a spicy clucker, which was a uh, big pulled chicken, ranch sauce, and jalapenos and bacon. And you know, again, great product. But will enough people buy that item in order to justify the shelf space at the grocery store? And that's what it all comes down to. It's you know, you know, the freezer space is a limited space. Mm-hmm. It's very competitive. I mean, if you ever shop frozen pizzas, you'll see that everything is on sale at some point or the other. And there's lots of different options, especially in Wisconsin. And so you have to make sure that you are, you're at the top of that list. And if you're not, well, you're at risk. And so something as cool as three little piggies or spicy clucker might've been amazing tasting and everyone loved them who tried it, but not enough people would eat it. So it's just that balance between really cool, unique things and, and things that everyone's going to buy. That's why you always have people say, oh, you should make a pizza with this or that on it. You're like, yeah, that sounds cool, but you'll buy it, but no one else will. Right, right. It's about having that. I mean, it's, it's about having something that makes you stand out, but also having enough mass appeal, it sounds like, that you're going to get those turns in the grocery store and you're going to get that extra, you know, that extra freezer space at a pick and save or something like that. You know, what's cool for us, though, is that because we're a brand, we're also the manufacturer, um, we make products for other people, you know, so whether it's uh, different retailers across the country and they'll come to us with these really crazy ideas or they'll come up with just basic ideas. And so the fun thing is we get to, we get to ideate not only on our brand, but for other people's product. Um, we made a, a prosciutto and arugula pizza that was, you know, absolutely incredible. It's, it's one of my favorite pizzas. And it actually came with a packet of, of imported Italian prosciutto and a packet of balsamic drizzle. And, uh, I don't think that's in the market anymore, but we use that technology to say, okay, that sounds simple, but really it's putting two different packets on a frozen pizza and then putting that into the box. So manufacturing wise, say, well, put it underneath the overwrap or, or the plastic. Well, then you have to make sure that that product is a food safe packaging that it comes in. If you put it on top of it, when you're putting it into the, into the box, it might fall out. So those are some of the manufacturing challenges that we've learned with that project. But fortunately now, we have another product we just launched under Urban Pie where it's a roasted vegetable goat cheese and a balsamic drizzle that's available at Costco right now. So we're able to use some of these unique, crazy ideas that maybe didn't work for one application, but then we can translate it to something else. That's pretty cool. So you're taking things that like you said, might not have been a fit in one area, but you're finding a way. And it sounds like packaging is kind of the solution that that you guys use to make some of these things work. How much, you know, when it comes to the manufacturing process, how much of the consideration like is around the packaging itself? Because I feel like uh, it's, you got to keep packaging mind packaging in mind from start to finish with pizza. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything from as simple as what's the best way to keep the product fresh what's the best way to keep the product um, secure. So making sure the box isn't too big or too small. And then interestingly enough, which is a really big thing in the industry, it's called on pallet configuration, making sure that that the pallet is the most optimized for that warehouse or retailer. So they don't want any overhang or underhang. 
because it's more optimized to store it and to ship it. And so that's a whole new consideration that for, for years and years and years didn't matter. So you have all these box sizes, all these crust sizes that weren't developed in mind to make it um, you know, on the pallet ideally. There's also the on-shelf consideration. You know, if you have a cool, unique size that no one else has, like, hey, you should make a heart-shaped pizza for Valentine's Day in a heart-shaped box. It's like, okay, buddy, cool idea. How are you going to stand up a heart-shaped box in the grocery store? Yeah. And you're looking at that, at that set size to make sure that your box fits in that set that's not too big or too small. Wow. Or how are you going to sell it all before Valentine's Day? Cause exactly. that's going to, yeah, come, come February 15th, that's not going to be in nearly as high of demand. So, exactly. well, cool. On pallet configuration, on shelf, a lot of things to consider. I, I love this inside look we're getting, we're getting at pizza manufacturing. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine-as-a-service company that's transforming the way end-users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. Now, what is machine-as-a-service? Well, if you're familiar with other as-a-service business models, it works very similarly. Rather than pay the upfront cost of a piece of capital equipment, whether that's a case erector or a canning line or anything beyond that or in between, end users have the opportunity to pay for that equipment based on its usage and performance. This moves investment dollars from CapEx to OpEx and ties this investment to production output. The coolest thing is machine builders win as well. Through this performance-based financing model, now OEMs can cash in on the increases in throughput and quality that they deliver, generating ongoing post-sale revenue for their business. Steamchain's machine-as-a-service business model is one of the best solutions I've come across during my time hosting Manufacturing Happy Hour. And if you want to hear more, make sure to check out Episode 5, where we interviewed Steamchain's CEO and co-founder, Mike Cromachy. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain, and make sure to visit them at steamchain.io to learn how you can start working with them today. And now, back to today's episode. We have a lot of B2B leaders that listen to this show. And it's funny because a lot of the things you've talked about are very much like branding and marketing related. Like how do you, how do you, you know, maximize the shelf space? You know, we consider packaging along with it. What's maybe a lesson if you're putting yourself in the shoes of a B2B business leader, what's something, a lesson you think they can learn from ultimately a B2C company like yours about marketing or creating something that people are going to want? You know, that's an interesting thought. I guess I never really thought of B2B and only B2B because, you know, we work B2B, but then it's B2B to C. Mm, so for right. us, there's always that end consumer in mind. But, you know, a business is still a, they're still a, a consumer of whatever product you're selling. And so it's why, why does someone want your product or your service? What makes you better than someone else? What is your, what's the reason why that you should be the one that's bought? And that's the same thing with a consumer because a business is just a person behind the desk. It's not like you're a B2B as you're selling to some robot or some 
other entity, it's still a person who's making that decision, who a lot of times will make a logical decision, but also they're basing a lot of the decisions based on emotion, based on relationships. Um, and, and sometimes what's in it for them and not from like a bribery standpoint, but is that decision, you know, let's say I'm selling you a service, Chris, and it's mm-hmm. like, Hey, like I got this new service. It's this, I, I see you got this, this beer cap holder on your wall. And so I'm selling you this new, this new beer cap holder. And it's going to be much better than the one you have. You say, well, as a business, and is it worth taking the risk on your new beer cap holder when I've got this one that I'm already doing? So what's, what's, what's the risk or reward of changing from something new or something that you're already doing to something new? And that risk sometimes isn't worth the reward. Now, if you're just in a bid business, then maybe that's different. But if you're selling something unique, you know, it's, it's tough. And you have to convince that person to buy your product or service. A couple of great points there. I mean, all great points. A couple that stick out are, I like how you bring up the why. You know, we I don't know if you've ever read Start With Why by Simon Sinek, but, you know, you're, you're nodding your head there. I know it's a, a favorite of a lot of people that listen to this show. You know, it's the same thing for someone that's manufacturing a piece of equipment for example, um, you know, and, and that whole risk re- reward aspect as well, you know, ultimately, you know, for the B2B leaders out there that are listening to this, it's all about, they're usually trying to tell, let someone know it's like, Hey, what we're going to do with our solution or service is going to be less risky than what you're doing today. It's going to be less risky than what vendor B or C would do. So great ways putting that in the perspective of, uh, of your business. You know, I have a handful of questions before, before we wrap up here, but as far as innovation and R&D goes, uh, how do you prioritize what's next? You've mentioned you've done some creative things. You also have some things that are, you know, more kind of your mainstream products as well. How do you prioritize where to put your focus? I mean, so a lot of it comes down to the dollars. You know, what, what it's going to bring our company the, the, the most, um, whether revenue or profit, um, you know, and it's not just whatever is the the fastest moving item, but it's also what could be a higher margin item that might not, maybe doesn't sell as fast or as much, but is a better long-term strategy. So I'll I'll give you kind of a story of two different brands. So one is our Palermo Rising Crust. And our Palermo's Rising Crust is now sold nationwide through Walmart. And it's great. We're so excited to have this product on shelf. It's a $5 pizza and it's It's got tons of toppings. So naturally you say, well, probably your margin probably won't be as high as a highly specialized item. So we have an urban pie product, which is now sold through all the whole foods and, you know, and the entire natural channel, the process it took to get our urban pie in the natural channel has been such a long process, not only to convince the buyer that they should take it in, but the consumer to switch from, their current natural offering. And that consumer is very conscious of what they're putting in their body. So that was such a long-term play to get that in. Whereas with Walmart, we have a, a great buyer and she said, hey, I, I really need a, a great product. And we, we showed her the rising crust and she said, great, let's do it. And so which one of those is more valuable or important? Well, they're both just as important or valuable, but they just take a longer, a different time schedule. You know, and they're and they're both valuable in their own sense. That one of them is, you know, 
higher margin, higher specialized item, more focus on ingredients. Um, one of them is about a great family product with abundance of toppings. And so they're very different items and they're both equal priority. So anything I think that's going to reach a lot of people um, for us is a, um, is, is a high importance. Um, anything that we know that we can do well is a high importance. Um, you know, so something that might not be a high importance, if someone says like, um, hey, I want to I want to come out with the Chris, you know, the Chris Lukey pizza. And <laughs> I, like, I don't know what would be on that, but I'm going to start. Hopefully I'll have an answer before the end of the interview. But go on. <laughs> but, so picture that you're a um, picture that you're a, a, a very prominent personality, you know, or it's like, OK, well, that sounds great. But is is that going to reach the same amount of people and is it worth it? And maybe it's, maybe it's even someone that's, you know, really famous. Let's say um, I'll use Joe Rogan, you know, the most famous podcaster, right? Good now. example for this show. <laughs> he says, I want to make the Joe Rogan pizza. And he's got, you know, much more reach than you or I have, or heck even any of my Instagrams plus any of the Instagrams of any frozen pizza. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but is it worth kind of going outside of your core capabilities to take a risk on something that's so unique that might not move the volume. And we've had lots of opportunities over the years of, of co-brandings of licensing opportunities with things that you're like, Oh, that sounds neat. Like I can associate pizza with this brand or person, but at the end of the day, it's, it, it, it's not worth it to us because it doesn't have the amount of appeal as you know, us taking our time and really owning it ourselves. Yeah. I, I, you know, back to the the start of that answer, you know, it, it definitely comes down to dollars. No doubt about that. You got loss leaders, you got um, the ones that have higher margin that are more specialized. Admittedly though, all I can think about right now is what does a Joe Rogan pizza looks like? And I'm just picturing something that's full of way too much protein on top of <laughs> it. So much so that you can't even like see the crust anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a protein and mushroom coffee. Exactly. Oh so, my gosh. If you're listening, Joe, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll make one for you. I'll make one just for you. Yes. I, I, I don't think Joe Rogan is a listener of this podcast yet. We'll change that with this episode, hopefully. Exactly. So, um, you know, another thing that stuck out early in the interview that you mentioned was when Safeway took a chance on your grandfather. You know, how do you get when you're a, a regional manufacturer like yourself, how do you get people to take a chance on you? Passion. I mean, you know, they came in and they, they met with my, uh, my father, my uncle, my grandfather. And there was just something about him that people said, I'm going to take a risk on you. You know, I said like, is it worth taking that risk? And a lot of times it's the person it, and they believed in my family to say, I'm going to take that risk. I mean, he was, he was such an electric personality and he would give you the shirt off his back if you're in need. And so I think it's just that, that passion, that excitement, even when we have retailers come in, like we say, like we can go somewhere and present a pizza and we always do a great job. But when someone comes to Palermo's and they see the hospitality, they see the product, they see the innovation, they get to walk through our plant and talk to our people. They say, yep, this is the right choice. And so it really is that personal relationship. And there's something that a lot of times, especially now, 
everyone is so numbers driven. Well, what do the numbers say? And that's, that's important. I'm not going to discount that, but that personal relationship is just so important. And I think that's where we do a great job with, you know, not only our, um, like, like the family, the ownership, but also our sales team. I mean, they really get to know their customers really well. No, awesome answer. I like how you kind of balance out the business aspect that we were just talking about as well. It's a, you know, it's certainly about the dollars, but at, at the end of the day, it's a human business. You know, it comes down to the people, comes down to the passion, like you said, right away. Let's thinking about manufacturing. What else would it, you know, if there's another regional manufacturing manufacturer that's listening to this, what does it take for a regional manufacturer, particularly in the U.S., um, to be successful in this day and age, in your opinion? grit, determination, a little bit of luck. I mean, you got to keep at it. You got to own it. Um, you don't get a day off. If you're a, if you're an owner of a, of a regional business and you're competing with the likes of, you know, multinationals, you just got to keep at it. And you, you just got to, it's, it's a grind, you know, and you got to be so passionate about it that it's not just your job, but it's kind of your life. And also it's, what are you making that's different. And, and you either innovate or you die. So if you're in the paper products industry, well, paper products haven't gone away. And look, I mean, they've made a resurgence now. So it's always, it's finding what you can do within your core competency, but then pushing it further, pushing it faster and say, I can't be, I can't be stagnant in whatever you're doing because someone's going to come along that's hungrier than you are. And they're going to try to do better than you. And so you got to be better than them. There's a, I think it's, how is it? I'm going to look it up. I think Josh Groves, only the paranoid survive. Okay. Okay. Uh, While you're looking that up, I got to say. Grove. Andrew Grove, only the paranoid. Andrew Grove. Okay. I'm going to find a quote while, while we're looking. I mean, you already dropped a great quote there. You either innovate or you die. You can't really put, uh, put things much more simple than that. You know, because even for us, if we were just to say, you know what, we don't want to, focus on this health and wellness trend. Like we're a frozen pizza company. Like who's going to, who's <laughs> want a healthy frozen pizza? Sure. I mean, if you look at the numbers, you look at things like gluten-free or plant-based, you'd be left in the dust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The amount of time it takes to get that to market takes so long. And so if you say today, oh, I think I want to make a gluten-free pizza, well, you're too late. You know, if you're not thinking about things three, four years ahead of time, even if it doesn't come to fruition for a while, you got to be working on it. Yeah. Yeah. What does a local community mean to a regional manufacturer as well? It was on my mind because I just moved back here to Milwaukee. You guys were a staple when I was here in college and you've obviously been doing a lot since then. What does, uh, what does the local community mean to a regional manufacturer? I mean, I hope it means what it means to us, to most people. I mean, community is everything. I mean, we, so we manufacture and in the Menominee Valley in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is a business park. We're right next to uh, Potawatomi uh, Casino. We're right next to Miller Park. Um, we've got a state park that's right behind our facility. And most of our workforce is in a, a few mile area. So how terrible would it be of us as people to not care about our community? These are our employees and these people are going back into the community and living and working and, and playing. And so for us, it's just, it's the right thing to do. It's a human thing to do. And so, you know, for us, our big thing is inner city youth and food insecurity. And so um, we do as much as we can to give pizzas away 
um, help out with more, you know, than we, not that we should, but we say yes a lot. And we, and we want to help out because like, we love Milwaukee so much. Like we, like my dad grew up here, you know, so my grandfather came. And so it's a great city, but man, it's got some issues. You know, if you look at statistically, we've got issues as a city and as little of a part as you can do, do it. You know, it, it, like as an individual, you don't have to think that you have to go and donate thousands or millions of dollars to make an impact. It's, it's like, what's within your sphere of influence? If you can go and help out and volunteer uh, a day a month, two days a year, and that's all you can do, that's amazing. If you can go and reach out to someone who is in need, or you know, even take a chance on giving someone a job. You know, a lot of times, and it, it's tough, you know, some people are, are hungry, homeless, and giving them a dollar on the street is, is not going to help. But you know what? If you're a business owner, give them your business card and say, you know what? Come apply for a job. And it might not work out, but those little things, those little things can help. Awesome. Wow. Great perspectives on that. Deeper answer than I expected. But yeah, I love focusing on what's within your sphere of influence. I think that's a great takeaway for, for anyone. Yeah. Say for you know, a company our size, we have a large sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. And so we can, we can donate a lot of pizzas to a lot of people who are hungry. We can help out uh, different organizations, support organizations. We can, we can offer incentives to our employees to volunteer, to give time back to the community. For us, it's, it's important. It's, it's, I mean, it really is such an important piece of our company and something that I think a lot of people are proud of. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, that's usually, you know, when, when you talk to an employee at any company, the giving back aspect is going to be something that comes up front of their mind in terms of why they're proud to work at a place like Palermo's. Well, I just got one more question for you before we wrap up. Is there something you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? Hmm. An interview or question I get a lot is, I'll ask you, does pineapple belong on pizza? Ooh, wow. This is a great, great way to end uh, end the interview. I'm going to say this. I think pineapple on pizza is great. I think there's a time and place for a pineapple and ham pizza. Is it what I want all the time? No. Is it what I want most of the time? No. But if I see it, hopefully it's in the right setting where it belongs. That's what I'll say on that. I'm curious on your answer though. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, I love ham and pineapple pizza, the salt, the sweet. I like it. Okay. I was getting worried. I'm like, I'm talking to someone of like pure Italian blood. I hope I wasn't like uh, blasphemous there. <laughs> All right, I'll ask you, I'll ask you one more. What is your favorite style of pizza? Ooh, oh, that's an easy answer for me right now. I just moved back from San Francisco and my favorite brewery in San Francisco is also a Detroit style pizza joint. I don't know if it's my favorite of all time, but it's certainly the one that's at the top of my list right now. All right. Another random one. I'm not sure if you know, people outside of San Francisco would care. Have you been to Arzamidi Bakery in San Francisco? Oh yeah. Which, which one is that's in uh little Italy neighborhood, correct? Is that the one where they make the bread? Am I making yeah, that up? They make the bread. I, I thought it was in the mission district. Okay. I hope I'm not getting it mixed up with a different one, but if it, it's, if it's the one that's known for their bread and their focaccia, yeah. I've definitely been there. You know, it's such a cool concept. This is where like the foodie me comes out is that you walk in, they've got a few breads and they've got their one pizza of the day. That's it. Mm-hmm. you've got, uh, we've got a leak and bacon pizza and you're like, what leak and bacon? Like, that's it. 
That's what we got today. Like there's like this arrogance because their bread is so good. I I think there's something to be said about a good prefix menu. And I usually enjoy it more than if I have a bunch of options. Cause then there's no like menu envy when someone else orders something you wish you got. It's just like, you know what, this is what they had today and it's perfect. So, um, well, Hey, where can people go to find out more about Palermo's? So you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, follow our brands, Screaming Sicilian, Palermo's, Urban Pie, Connie's. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram, or go to PalermosPizza.com. Hey, even shoot me a note on LinkedIn, Nick Faluca, and ask me a question. I love talking pizza. I love talking products. So that's where you can go to find out. Love that. Well, we will link up to all of those in the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com. In the meantime, Nick, it was a lot of fun having you on the show today. Thanks. Hopefully we can have a real drink soon at the Roman coin. Absolutely. I'll buy the first round and I will see you there. To everyone else listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thanks to Nick and the team at Palermo's for making this episode possible. I'll be honest, I'm recording this like two or three weeks from the time that we recorded the episode itself. I had forgotten about how many different types of food and restaurants we had talked about during this conversation. It was really quite the foodie chat. I'm going to say a couple things on that real quick. First, Urban Pie, one of the brands from Palermo's that I had never had before until like a day ago is freaking phenomenal. Like I love frozen, you know, frozen pizza is awesome, but this is like frozen pizza at another level. The the crust on that thing, the ingredients, oh man, that's good stuff. Um, I picked it up at my local grocery store. I think you can find it nationwide at like Whole Foods and spots like that. That is some serious gourmet stuff right there. Second, I was looking up some of those uh, bakeries we were talking about in San Francisco. Ours Mendy Bakery is actually located uh, next to Golden Gate Park, not too far from where I lived before I moved away. Great spot. It was not the spot I was thinking of. I have been there for their cookies before. I wish I'd gotten some of their pizza while I was there. Hopefully, Nick, if you're listening to this, you'll forgive me for having missed that, but I'll make my way back there eventually. The other bakery that I couldn't remember in San Francisco is Liguria Bakery. They are in North Beach, San Francisco's little Italy neighborhood, and they serve some of the best focaccia in the world. Get there early, like, I'm serious, 7 a.m., because they will sell out of that after a couple hours. It is that good. Anyway, this is all more reason for you to head to the show notes for today's episode because we talked about a lot of good spots that you should should check out, whether that's the Roman coin, whether it's some of the books we mentioned, Simon Sinek's Start With Why, Andrew Grove's Only the Paranoid Survive. All of those resources are over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 44. As we wrap up, If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving that five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. I also want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Steam Chain, the machine as a service platform. I am most impressed with these guys in the manufacturing industry right now. They turn manufacturing data into dollars. With their machine as a service platform, rather than pay for a capital asset, You pay for the output. You pay for the actual production. This de-risks investments in new technology, and it creates awesome new revenue streams for the OEMs that are selling this equipment. Check them out at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain to listen to our interview with their CEO, Mike Kromicky, or head over to steamchain.io today. 
And that's it for this week. Hope you had fun. I certainly did. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again soon. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.